Well, good morning. As uh, Lars announced earlier, I really want to invite you to, to be here next week with my friend Jonathan Storman, who will be preaching here. If you haven't heard him before, he's just a fantastic preacher, uh, one of my favorite preachers. I can't say it when he's here because he's a friend of me of mine, but, um, but he's really one of my favorite preachers. We'll get to hear from him next Sunday morning and then next Sunday evening at 5 p.m., and you just don't want to miss that. He's a really uh, great, great guy and great uh, teacher, so we're looking forward to, to having him uh, here next week. We're starting a new series, which we'll put on pause um, in the following week, but on the book of Lamentations. It's a book uh, in the Old Testament, and it's likely it's a book that you don't know a whole lot about. And the series is called How to Grieve, to think through what it looks like to, to be people who grieve well, because Lamentations is written at a time when the, the nation of Israel is, is grieving, and they are struggling, and they're wondering, can, can things ever start again? Do we have hope? Can we rebuild from where we're at? What does it look like for us to, to grieve well, because I think oftentimes we don't necessarily uh, grieve that well or understand what it looks like for us to see pain and death in the world. One of the reasons why I think that is, is, is technology that we have at our fingertips all the time, the, the life of the world, like your routine before going to bed might be to, you know, check your email one time to see, is there anything that work needs to tell me right now? And then you check whatever social network you have. And so you have a chance to connect with like everyone you've ever known, basically, not even your, your your friends, but just a ton of people around the world. And then you look at whatever news site you go to and you see whatever is happening in different parts of the nation. And so there's so many ways that we just like connect to, to life in this world, in this present moment. It's no wonder that we struggle to know what to do when death arises or when we have to lament a little bit. The word at the beginning of Lamentations, lament, is basically just a cry out to God. So Lamentations opens up like this. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there's no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate, her priests groan, her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Now, who's excited about this book? Like, whoa, what a great start, right? Woo! Anybody want to go back to Easter? Yeah, let's, uh, let's, go, let's go back um, to that. And the issue that is happening in Jerusalem is... Uh, the Babylonians have come through and basically just laid waste and destroyed the city. And so that's just as you think about what it would look like for a city to be in ashes. And as the, the writer writes, and there's three different characters in this book. One is the, the narrator, who's like this objective reporter. And uh, actually, the narrator kind of gets involved in it a little bit later in the book of Lamentations. But basically, the narrator is, is sitting there and saying, look at what has happened to this place. There once used to be these, these great festivals. People used to come here to worship. These streets used to be filled with, with people, and, and they would go through the processes that we would do, the festivals. It used to be like this huge thing, but they aren't here anymore. Everybody's gone. It's over. It's destroyed. As I think about this scene, is this 
narrator is describing like what used to be. I can't help but think of the movie Cars, which I watched a lot because my son really liked that movie a couple years ago. And in Cars, there's a, a moment, it's this, this city that has been completely ignored basically because the um, different roads, it's a long story, but there's a reason why the city once used to have a lot of cars in it. It once used to have like, it's a thriving, people were coming through it all the time, but then the freeway changed everything. And this group of cars, they're reflecting back and there's images of them like going around looking like with fresh paint jobs, having fun with all of these cars that were in town. And then it flashes forward and we see them. They now are dented and old and nobody comes to their businesses anymore. And whenever a visitor comes, they're a little creeped out because no visitors seem to come to this place anymore. And they just sit and talk about the good old days. What does it look like for us to recognize that, yes, sometimes there were some good things that were in our past. And we sometimes look back to some of that stuff and then think that like it, it was good to be in that space. But then how do we move forward? How do we recognize, perhaps, that, yes, that was, that was difficult for me? Yeah, there used to be festivals. There used to be this thing, and now it's over. Maybe you've had a moment like this where you're coming to grips with a divorce or some kind of loss. Or you expected your life to be a certain way, and it's not that. And maybe it never will be. What does it look like to understand that God is perhaps still with you in that space? So the narrator begins by describing this place that used to have a whole lot of people. And the festivals, they had everybody here. It was exciting. It was interesting. And now she sits in anguish. And the second character then comes on, and the second character is, is a woman who is basically personifying the, the city of Jerusalem. Um, it's, it's poetic language. You could read Lamentations very quickly. It's five chapters long. I'd recommend for you uh, to, to check it out and read uh, the entire thing. But this woman's voice representing the, the city of Jerusalem comes in, and, and the first thing that is said is, Look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. And then the, the woman continues and, and says this, Is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me that the Lord brought on me in that day of his fierce anger? And that sentence really jumps out to me and sticks with me. Is any suffering like my suffering? Does anybody notice me? Is there anyone who will hear, like, what I'm going through? Does anybody remotely understand? Is there any suffering like my suffering? And hopefully you've never had that moment in your life. You haven't gotten to that place yet. Hopefully you never will. Some people get to kind of just live a pretty blessed life. But most of us, I would say, end up at a space like this from time to time where we wonder, does, does anybody care about what I'm going through? Does anybody notice what I'm experiencing? Does anybody like recognize that there's something going on that I need some serious help with? Is anyone focused in on what's happening here? And something that I love about the book of Lamentations, and I have to give um, Jill Rokey some credit because she 
sent me about 40 questions about the Old Testament um, earlier uh, in the year. And over the last three months, we've met every other Friday and have been slowly going through her questions. Not that I answered all of them very well, but uh, she asked me a ton of them. It's been really, really fun to engage in that material, and it helped me to think about what's a book that I don't know a whole lot about that I want to study. So if the series isn't good, you can blame Jill. Uh, But that's, that's that's what I'm trying trying to get at. But um, I've, I've been so thankful for her, for her questions and to be able to, to experience those and talk with her about, about faith and what that looks like. But one thing that I, I love about the book of Lamentations is there's no like God character who comes in at the end and makes it all okay. In the time that God does kind of explain some things. It's not necessarily that satisfying of a conclusion in the book of Job, where Job's life completely falls apart. And God could come in and say, like, some weird stuff about, well, I made this weird deal with Satan, and that was really complicated. But, like, he could have done that. God's answer ultimately in Job is like, do you know where the billy goats are in the mountains? And that's not all that satisfying. But in Lamentations, it's basically just these questions, moments like we're all going to experience, questions like, like Jill's, like, what? What, is this, what does this mean? What's going on? And I, I love the honesty. Generally, we think of the Bible as this like just cohesive thing, but there's books like this that don't seem to have answers. And we're all going to experience life like that at times. When we don't have an easy answer, when it seems like perhaps like most of the decisions that we have, like they aren't necessarily all that great. And this Woman, as, as she speaks, is the city of Jerusalem. It's almost just incoherent grief. There's times when it's like she wants to blame God and say, God, where are you when this happened? And there's times when she's like, well, you know, I kind of did have a little bit of a role in it too. Like we, we as the people of Jerusalem, we, we messed up here a little bit. But then there's times when she's wanting to blame the people for not protecting her a little bit better. So she's kind of just in this, this moment of incoherent grief and anger. And again, it's likely that you all, if you haven't experienced that at some point, you're going to be in this moment or a season of almost incoherent pain. And it runs counter to the way that we often experience the world. Because I would argue that we live in a culture of denial, an understanding that like, the world just seems to be getting better and better and better. If you want to think about what that's like, just think of whenever um, Apple is announcing their new version of whatever it is that they're putting out. And they have a ceremony that is very much like a religious ceremony. And it used to be Steve Jobs until he, he passed away. And it was always like, okay, this thing is going to fix your life. It now has a camera that takes really good pictures. And everybody in the audience is like, yeah, that's amazing. This is going to fix everything. And then there's bloggers who say, well, it's not really that much better of a camera. And then they kind of just go back and forth. But, but in that moment, like every year, there's this, this big unveiling and this announcement. And it's not just Apple, it's other things as well, which come out with this thing. It's like, this is going to be the thing that solves your life. And then you open the package and get it. And it's still the same. A mentor of mine asked me the very hard question. He said, does your phone make you a better person? That'll, that'll sting if you think about it for a while. And we have this understanding that like kind of the world is just getting better and better and better, and we're just getting more, more progressive in the way that, that we think, and the, the technology is going to solve everything. Like our like sheer willpower is going to be enough to like make the world into a utopia. But the unsinkable ship, the Titanic, sank. And then you wrestle with some of the harder realities of our world that 
over the last hundred years, more human blood has been shed by other humans than in all of human history combined. You hear of events like Sri Lanka last week or San Diego just yesterday. And even as a community of faith, you wonder, like, are we safe? Are we okay? We look back on some of the passages of, of Scripture, and some of them look like barbaric and from a time that, like, blood, rain, and what, what exactly was going on there. And in some ways, we are more progressive than that, but in a lot of ways, we just think we are. And then sometimes we have a moment, like Lamentations seems to address an experience. And we just want to cry out, does anybody see me? Does anybody know what I'm going through? Is there anyone who has pain like I've experienced? And we don't necessarily know how to talk about those things, how to name those things. In the Middle East, still to this day, they have something that's very fascinating. They have professional mourners. And these professional mourners will show up to funerals and sometimes talk to people about like how the mourning experience should go. And then sometimes they're there to actually demonstrate, even though they oftentimes don't even know the deceased, they will demonstrate, like, here is how you wail about this thing. Like, here is how, you know, you just let it out. And sometimes don't we go to funerals and, like, nobody's really crying or, I mean, like, you know, and you're like, is anybody upset by this? And we just kind of go through the motions. And these professional mourners, they show you, like, how to really get after it. Like, here, here is what this looks like for you to, like, mourn, to, to, to grieve what has happened here. And we think of that as a little bit odd, perhaps. But maybe it is a healthy way to understand, like, there's, there's some times when you need to just cry out when something has wrecked you and you can't push it below the surface. I saw this guy, I googled professional mourning, and I saw this guy who had posted this uh, on, on Facebook. He said that he was available for a professional mourning. Should be up there. Yep. Um, so he said, do you want to boost your funeral? Hire me, the professional mourner. Here are my summer special prices. Normal crying, $50. Bohemian hollering, 100 Crying and rolling on the ground, 150 Crying and threatening to jump into the grave, 200 Crying and actually jumping into the grave, 1000 Like that, we could get 1000 together to send him somewhere, right? We could probably um, figure that out. And yeah, I think he's missed the point of professional mourning. Um, but what, is, what would it look like for us to have a better understanding of what it means to mourn? to not just move past things and just get to the next thing, but to say, like, we, we grieve, we, we pause, and we recognize that there is pain in the world. And collectively, communally, to, to recognize that, to name that, and then to help us all move forward. In the beginning of this poem, Lamentations 1, is any pain like my pain? Does anybody notice What's happened? What does it look like for us to name our pain and then to hear from the pain of others? I called and no one heard. The book that I'm reading primarily for this series is by a woman named Kathleen O'Connell. And in her, or O'Connor, and in her, her book, she 
like writes about the, the process of lamentations and what it looks like. And then she had some podcast things out, outside of that that I listened to one of them. And she did one podcast with a, a person who is um, a, a cultural, like, hip-hop researcher, which I thought, well, that's interesting. I, I would like that job. Um, but, um, and this, this researcher and her were having this conversation about how, like, current lament might look surprising to us. And this researcher was talking about how, um, like, the history of, of rap music, you could consider it to be lament. That generally, in rap music and in rap culture, it generally came from African-American um, communities, minority communities, who were basically calling out, does anybody notice us? Can anybody experience our pain? In, in a country where still to this day, one-third of African-Americans between the ages of 20 and 29 are in prison or on parole, and 65% of African-American homes grow up with, with one parent. It's like a group of people is saying, does anybody notice our pain? And if you aren't too familiar with, with rap or hip-hop, you might think, well, there's just too much cussing in there. But there's actually some really meaningful and important lyrics that I think sometimes we all collectively need to listen to. I wasn't really a rap or hip-hop fan until I played high school baseball, and that team was basically run by people who all listened to rap and hip-hop. So I listened to a lot of uh, Tito's Top 4 at 4 on Power 106. Anybody? Justin, I got one. Um, Tito's Top 4 at 4, that's a, a long time from a, from a very different place. But look at some of, some of these hip-hop lyrics. Here's just a couple uh, examples that, I mean, you just do an easy search and find some stuff. There should be some slides for me. Yes? No? Okay, that was in the update that I sent you, Jen. Um, but um, when... Yeah, I'm not going to rap um, for you guys. I, I did that. I did that. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the lyrics, one of, one of the songs that I looked at was the um, lyrics of uh, Tupac as he talks about women on, on welfare. Um, and there are so many different examples that, you could, that we could look up, that we could uh, look at, and look at that there's people who are trying to say hard words about the world that they live in. They ask, does anybody actually hear? No one is listening to our pain. There we go. Keep your head up. So Tupac says, I give a holler to my sisters on welfare. Tupac cares if nobody else care. And I know that they like to beat you down a lot when you come around the block. Brothers clown a lot, but please don't cry. Dry your eyes. Never let up. Forgive. Don't forget. Girl, keep your head up, and when he tells you you ain't nothing, don't believe him. Kendrick Lamar, why, God, why do I suffer? Pain in my heart carry burdens full of struggle. Why, God, why do I got to bleed? Every stone thrown at you resting at my feet. Why, God, why do I got to suffer? Earth is no more. Why don't you burn this? Can't say this word in a sermon. You can think about what that is, but uh, no. And oftentimes we can see a, a word like that, or words that can be in those places and just say like, oh, I'm just going to discount the whole thing. But these are messages that I, I, I would argue that sometimes we need to hear and listen to because a group of people is saying, why isn't anyone 
hearing my pain. And so we look at the book of Lamentations, and it's kind of hard for us to relate to it, if you're honest. If you're just reading through that chapter on your own, you're like, this is really weird and sounds like it's from a long time ago, but we are still doing the exact same thing. And we all collectively, at times, need to do the same thing. To name what is actually going on in our lives. To name the difficulties that are in our lives. Because it's when we name those things that we then open ourselves up to transformation. It's when we push these things below the surface that they continue to have like issues. And they cause problems moving forward. Uh, the magazines that you're walking by as you check out at the grocery store, not the, the tabloids, um, but the ones that have a little bit more journalistic integrity than the tabloids, like People. I'm not saying it's amazing journalism, but um, I mean, I read it all. The time. No, I don't actually read that, but uh, the, the, those magazines like People or Us Weekly uh, will say that the times that their magazines sell more than any other is when they have the, the breaking story about the breakup. And she or he is going to tell all about whatever happened. And now, like, they're on the other side, maybe a year or two away from this breakup. And, like, here's what I learned and how I've become a stronger person. And whenever those stories are out there, the copies just fly off the shelves. It's the most that they sell. Because people connect to pain. And it's not just because they're reading about someone else's issues. It's because they recognize that there's something else that they need to deal with as well. There's an author named Peter Rollins who says, when we tap into suffering, we tap into the suffering of ourselves. And so when we see magazines on a shelf that tells a story of, of somebody else, we have something in our heart that recognizes our own pain. I remember in 1997 when Princess Diana died. And that was like an unbelievable thing as, as a... 15-year-old boy. I didn't know that much about Princess Diana before uh, her death, but it was like the whole world was mourning. And it wasn't just because like she was like an influential figure or that she had like a, a meaningful life, and I think that, that she did, but as people all like go to this place of mourning, it's like it's not just about her death. It's about everybody facing their mortality. It's about everybody crying out to God and wondering, like, is my pain like anybody else's pain? And I hope that as, as a church, as a congregation, we can be a place that, that shares our pain, that finds ways to, to lament, to allow people who are struggling. Because as I look out over this room, I, I see people who I know some of the things that you've been through. And in some ways, it's amazing that you still walk with God after what you've been through. Because the stories that you have, the things that you have dealt with in different ways, it's simply unbelievable. I think of a story that I've, I've told before, but uh, Norma Wolf, who was a member of our church for many, many years, but died a few years ago. Her first husband like, got into gambling and had some unbelievable debts and ended up being killed by the mob. And you looked at her and thought, wow, she was just somebody who was just always here, like this good old faithful church person. And because of what had happened with her life, she for about 20, 25 years didn't go to church and then came back and the minister at the time explained to her, no, 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 we're, we're so happy that you're here and you're so welcome here. 
And again, if you were to have seen her, you would have thought, oh, she's just one of those church people who's been at church for her entire life and has always, no, she had a really, really hard life. And church, I hope, at its best, is a place where we can share our real pain, where we can say to each other, is there anybody who has dealt with something like this? And maybe someone hasn't dealt with the exact same thing, but they can put an arm around your shoulder and say, okay, I don't know, I haven't dealt with the exact same thing, but let's talk about it a while. May we be a place where people don't just sit week after week in pain, but open ourselves up to be honest with God about what we're actually going through. And then use that space to be open with others as well. The author that I mentioned, Kathleen O'Connor, she said this, Lamentations names what is wrong and what is out of order in God's world. What keeps human beings from thriving? Simple acts of lament name these conditions and open them to grief and anger. It makes them visible for remedy. I think that part is so true. It makes it visible. So when we name pain, when we understand that we aren't the only ones that are going through this, when we share our pain with other people, it makes us visible for remedy. So as the worship team comes up, we'll be singing the, uh, one of my favorite new songs that Philip has taught us over this last year uh, called Broken Vessels. And that song, uh, Broken Vessels, is a song that recognizes that there is brokenness and pain in our world. And as we begin this series through this book that is really from a long time ago and in a lot of ways a very strange book, my question that I want you to want you to think about as as this like city personified says it. What do you need to lament? What is something perhaps that you need to name? Is it something that's happened to you? Is it something that's been difficult to you in in your past? What would it look like for you to to say that to somebody? I'm willing to talk with you if you're interested in that. Where we have uh, places and people that we would love for you to share with. Because when we name our pain. It makes it visible. Not that it's ever going to go away. When we share our pain with others, it allows us to be open to the transformation and healing that God has for all of us. Let's not live like painful things don't exist. How much better, perhaps, would, would your family have been if early on, like you said, what you needed to say you didn't just like push it below the surface? Or how much better perhaps would, would your life be if 20 years ago you would have said, hey, you know, I, I really need help with this. Can anybody help me? Does anybody have experience with this? Do you want to live more of your life with that thing continuing to define you? What would it look like for you to find somebody and to name that pain. Because trust me, one of the biggest lies that Satan gives us is that you're alone. You're the only one that feels like this. You're the only one that struggles with this. But it is the consistent voice of Scripture that tells us that God hears and God knows. We are broken vessels. We're broken people. That doesn't mean that God doesn't continue to work through us. What maybe do you need to lament? As we sing this song, I'd love for you 
to think of that. Let's stand and worship together.